Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Never should we be afraid to pray for God's will because that's what we want ultimately within our lives. I want what God wants for me even if I don't want it. And I don't want what I want if God doesn't want it for me. I want God's will in my life. Sometimes it is God's will that there would be suffering in our lives. Trials serve a real purpose for the Christian. But don't let that discourage you. God, as only He can, sometimes brings suffering because He wants us closer to Him, and He knows that's the only way to do it. He wants us to learn who He is. He wants to be exalted and glorified in our difficulties. God can do amazing things when we keep our eyes on Him during the storm. Here's part two of 1 Peter 4, 12-19 with Robert Furrow. And to glorify you, when I lost my wife, Lisa, of 30 years, to lung cancer, it was unexpected for us. We were the people who say, nothing like this happens to us. When they first found the spot in her lung, then after it was biopsied, it came back as cancer. Lisa lived for a year and three months after we found out. During that time, we would discuss, we believed God was going to heal her. We really did. I thought, what better way, God, for you to be glorified than for a pastor to have his wife get cancer and be healed? And when she did so well in the beginning, I thought, you know, we're ahead of this curve. Technology-wise, it was a new treatment that she was getting and it was working well. But we would talk. What if, what if God's gonna take me now? What, what if this is the end? And she said, I don't know if I'm, I'm ready to end my life. E even for the glory of God, even if God's glorified for it. Th then she said to me, you know what? I better not find out it's you that God's trying to do something in that I'm losing my life for. <laughs> now, she was teasing me, but there was some truth in that. God was not only doing what God was doing in Lisa's life, that she would run her race and, and live for Christ and die for Christ and, and eyes would be upon her when she, when she did. And she did, she died, she died well, she died bravely. She put her mind upon Christ. She encouraged those that were around her even in the midst of her pain. Lung cancer often isn't very painful. Hers was very painful. If you would have told me two years before she got cancer, two years before she died, if you'd have told me that she was gonna get cancer, it was gonna be painful and that she was gonna die, I would have said, Katie, bar the door because Lisa complained. I'm not talking bad about her. I'm just telling the truth. Lisa complained quite regularly. And I, and I would have thought, oh, this is not gonna be good. I've been married to her for 30 years. This is not going to be good. But she set her mind on Christ and she put her eyes on, on heaven. And she, the, the closer she got, the more she talked about heaven and the more she encouraged people. She began to say, I'll see you around the corner during the last week of her life to, to her friends, to her kids, knowing that it wasn't going to take much longer. And God glorified himself through all of that. But once she, she was gone, all of a sudden then, 
things went from being so healthy for her to all of a sudden then she's gone. And in my mind, I had kind of settled in when she took that turn for the worse there in the beginning of December. In my mind, I thought, well, I'm settling in for nine months, 10 months, a year of taking care of her, a year of her being here. And every day she got worse. And I remember thinking she died on a Saturday. And I remember thinking the Friday before she died, it was a bad day. It was a bad day and a bad night. And I remember thinking, put her to bed. It'll be a better day tomorrow. You, you know you're up against it when you're just looking to the next day. It'll be a better day tomorrow. Just, you know, another day. And the next day she went to be with the Lord. It was then that my real suffering started because I was so busy taking care of her, so busy from the moment that I, I found out about it. I was on the phone. I was trying to find the best care, the best doctor, the best, the best place to take her. And then taking care of her through it all. And all of a sudden, I was alone and full of grief and sorrow. But what I didn't realize as I look back on it now was that during that time, maybe even now, people had their eyes on me. What's he gonna do? I started teaching two weeks after she died. She died on December 15th. I came back on New Year's Eve and I taught and I taught from then on. And a friend of mine said to me, well, you, you, do you think you came back too early? And I said, yeah, I do, actually. I had a few messages I really struggled with because of, you know, you're challenged. God, why would you let this happen to me? I had a few messages I struggled with, but, I, but I, then I asked him, but what was I gonna do? Sit at home in my chair? To get back to the body, to, to get back to teaching God's word was incredibly powerful. And God used not only her suffering for his glory, but like she said, if this has anything to do with you, you're in trouble. <laughs> well, it did have to do with me. Not all of it. I mean, it was her race to run. I'm not saying that God took her life for me. I'm saying it was her race to run, but God used the sorrow and the difficulty in my life that people could watch it and see and know that it is a hope that is in Christ and that we should rejoice to the extent that we are partakers of Christ's suffering if people come to Christ. When we're in heaven and we're looking back at this time, this time will seem like a vapor to us and whatever we've suffered, whatever could be consumed for him and for his glory, we will say, God, thank you that we were able to do so. Look at what he says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceedingly joy. When the glory of God is revealed, and I take it that when the glory of God is revealed from your suffering or when his total glory is revealed, you will have exceeding joy because you suffered. It is an honor. It is a gift to be able to suffer for him. Now, everyone's gonna suffer. That's the... Well, that's life. It's not just, we're not just talking about Christian suffering. We're talking about everyone's suffering. You and I have the unique aspect of persecution, which we'll talk about here in a moment, but everyone's gonna suffer. And how sad it is for a non-believer who suffers for nothing. When you and I can suffer 
for the glory of Christ. And you think, well, that's easy to understand when you're talking about a pastor. You're up in front of people, how God would use that in your life. But that's, God's not going to use it that way in my life. I just don't influence that many people. That's how God works. God works with the little seeds and watering the lives of people around us. There's just little seeds that are planted. And all of us are called to be that light and to influence family and friends and coworkers for Christ. All of us. He says then in verse four, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you're reproached for him, if you're made fun of for him, if you're persecuted for him, Jesus said rejoice and you're blessed. Here we're told we're blessed again. We're blessed if we can be persecuted for him. All you students here that are laughed at and U of A or Pima because of your faith, because you're a Christian, rejoice. You're blessed because of that persecution. I, I like to tell students, enjoy it because you won't always be persecuted. There may come a time when you and I face persecution, but when you're in college, that's a special time of persecution. You can stand up for Jesus and be persecuted there. He says, on their part, he is blasphemed. It's not that good is happening. When they're persecuting you and they're mocking you and they're mocking Jesus in you, it's not that good is happening. It's blasphemy on their part, but on your part, he is glorified. God's using the persecution to glorify him. There's blasphemy taking place, but God's using persecution to glorify his name. Now, not all suffering is good. Suffering for his sake is good. Suffering the illnesses, the sicknesses, the accidents, the difficulties and struggles that come into our lives, the losses, God can use those for good. But have you ever seen the bumper sticker that says, um, life is hard and harder if you're stupid? <laughs> good bumper sticker. We can make our life a whole lot harder. In verse 15, it says, but none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer or as a busybody in other people's matters. And did you notice that it says murderer and busybody in the same, it's like suffer as a busybody and a murderer. It's like, those are two extreme things. But when we sin, we bring difficulty into our lives. When we sin, we bring consequences into our lives. And so there are, there are sufferings that we can avoid by not stealing, not being an evildoer, not murdering, not being a busybody. So we want to make sure there are two kinds of sufferings that we could avoid. We can avoid suffering that is directly related to sin and the consequences of sin. If I don't do the sinful thing, there's not going to be the consequence. The Bible says so directly that there will be consequences to sin. It says, can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? The answer to that is no. If you sow to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind, the Bible says. And also discipline, that because God loves you, when you go wayward, he disciplines you. Have you forgot the disciplining of God? And Hebrews says that it is grievous, but it brings forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And if we're disciplined, it, you could get rid of this, the discipline by repenting. When my uh, youngest was seven or so, six or seven, 
he wanted to go down to the pool, the community pool and get nachos. And we uh, told him, no, wait till after dinner, we'll have somebody take you. Well, he snuck off and go get nachos for himself. And uh, we couldn't find him. We're running all around the streets, yelling his name. And uh, then here he comes. His little legs taking him as fast as he can. And his hands are full of goldfish bags because they were out of nachos. And he bought as many goldfish bags as he could buy. And he came bringing him in. And his older brother saw him and said, you're so dead. <laughs> and when he came in, I was so furious at him that I sent him to his room. I was like, go to your room. I'm gonna deal with you in a minute. Then I hear from the back room, why did I do it? Why did I do oh, Why did I do it? I've, I've had that prayer. <laughs> Haven't you? Why? Why did I do it? The discipline of the Lord and the consequences of sin can be taken out of our lives. So I want to have as little suffering as I possibly can, but the suffering that I do have, I want to have glorify Christ. And so he says in verse 16, yet if any suffers as a Christian, this is one of the, only, the three places in the Bible where the word Christian is used. And it literally means to be Christ-like. And it seems that Christians were first, well, the Bible says in Antioch, they were first called Christians. And in the early church, it became a, it became a derogatory term but something that was taken on proudly by Christians. The word Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. We are like little messiahs. I, I don't know if we would have really chosen that name for ourselves. Any of you guys feel like a little messiah? Or quite literally, a little anointed one? Because Jesus is the messiah, the anointed one. And we're like the little anointed one. But it might be the best picture of us all that we've been anointed by the Spirit and sent out to do the work that God's called us to do. And if any of you suffers as a Christian, he says in verse 16, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in the manner. If the suffering isn't connected to something stupid that you've done, then glorify God in the midst of it. He says in verse 17, for the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. Now that's a frightening statement when it was said 2,000 years ago. God deals in judgment with his people. God disciplines us and works in our hearts and in our lives. For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? I think here he gives us a heart for the lost and the perishing. He's saying, if God doesn't let you get away with it, but disciplines you, then what about those who are lost and those who are perishing? If, verse 18, now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? What's going to happen to the ungodly and the sinner if the righteous are barely saved? We seem to scratch along in our faith with Jesus to make it into glory. Where are the ungodly and the sinners. The Bible says in Proverbs, death and Hades are constantly before the eyes of the Lord. How much more the souls of men? Since God sees people in hell right now, how much more does he care about people who are alive? And again, this is our call. This is our purpose. This is our cause. We are a light that has been set in the city of Tucson to shine to those who are lost and perishing. He says in verse 19, therefore, 
let those who suffer according to the will of God. And you might want to underline that, highlight it, put a star by it. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. There is a will of God that there would be suffering in your life. There are those who claim that it's never God's will for you to suffer. That if you are, there there was a teaching years ago, and I'm sure it's still around to some degree, but it was around a lot when I was like 18, 19 years old. What you confess, you're going to possess. That if you say, oh, I'm getting a cold, that you could get a cold. Or if you know, I I hurt my knee. If you say, "I, I didn't hurt my knee. If you just confess it the other way around, then you'll possess that and you won't have a a hurt knee. The idea was that God didn't want anything bad to happen in your life. Years ago, I was praying for a gal and at the end of praying for her, I said, and Lord, whatever your will is for her life. And afterwards, a guy approached me and said, how dare you? How dare I? How dare you pray for God's will? I was like, are you hearing yourself? What do you mean, how dare I pray for God's will? He said, well, God wants her healed. You shouldn't pray for God's will. But if God wants her healed, then why be afraid to pray for God's will? Never should we be afraid to pray for God's will because that's what we want ultimately within our lives. I want what God wants for me, even if I don't want it. And I don't want what I want if God doesn't want it for me. I want God's will in my life. And if you suffer according to the will of God, well, that's really the only kind of suffering I want to do. I know God disciplines me. I know there are consequences to sin. But may the suffering that we do be the suffering that is in the will of God so that God can be lifted up and exalted and glorified and you and I can rejoice. So he says in verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as a faithful creator. That is that we say, I'm going to live my life now so people around me can see Christ in me, the hope of glory. And when I suffer in the will of God, people around me will see Christ. For them, not only did they have suffering that was coming their way, but persecution. God uses all of our suffering, but God uses persecution in in an even greater way. And through the persecution of Rome, the gospel would spread literally around the world. It had already spread around the world by the the early persecution by the Jewish leaders. The same people who crucified Jesus persecuted the early church. But then when Rome began to get involved, it was like it picked up speed and the gospel just took off because in the midst of those difficulties, persecution was the pressure that God put on the church that spread the church around the world. And God was exalted and uplifted and glorified. Now, I want to enjoy the good days. I want to love life and have the good days. I want to watch what I say and don't do evil because God's eyes are on the righteous and they're, they're shut to the wicked. I want that in my life. I don't welcome suffering. I don't want suffering, but I'm willing if God would use me in such a way. And whatever God may bring into my life and however God would do it, If if we tarry, if we are not among those who are alive when Jesus returns, then all of us will have some form of suffering. May God use whatever suffering we have to glorify his name. And when we see his glory, exceedingly joy. What a great thing.
Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, we do want to thank you again. Your, your word encourages us. And as we consider the idea and concept of suffering, we, um, we want you glorified in what we face and go through. And although we may, as Greg Laurie said, we may never choose the path, yet down that path we'll walk. And we'll walk it for you, that you could be uplifted and that you could be glorified. And Lord, we pray that you would use us Use us as a people to make a difference in the lives of the ungodly that are perishing. And if we are scarcely saved, then where will the ungodly be? We pray that you would use us to bring people to Christ and to make a difference in their lives. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a couple of minutes. I'd also like to ask that you wouldn't leave early. We're almost done. If you already know the Lord, would you pray for those that are here that don't know him? And today, if you have never received Jesus, we'd love to give you a chance to do that. The Bible says in John chapter one, as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God to those who believe in his name. That means that you've got to open up and receive the Lord, that you have to invite him into your life. If you don't want to do that, you don't have to. He's not going to force anyone to go to heaven force anyone to be saved if you say I like my life and I like the things that I live for and I don't want to be a Christian you don't have to be you have a choice choose you this day the Bible says whom you will serve choose life and live but if you're here today and you want to invite Christ in there's good news the Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved whoever and that even means you You may think you are one that God would not want or call or save. Certainly the thief on the cross thought that. But when he prayed a simple prayer, Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus said to the thief being crucified, I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. And salvation was brought to that man on the cross. You may feel beyond it. You may feel like God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. But the power of God, it's interesting, is attracted to weakness. In our weakness, he is made strong. It's in our very lives where we say, I don't know how God could use me. I don't know why God would use me. It's in our very lives that he's made strong. And if you're here today, you never invited him into your life, I'd like to give you that opportunity. Right where you are now, just lift your hand up. I want to make my way around the room and acknowledge the hands that are raised and pray with you and for you. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts. All right. Father, we want to thank you again as we surrender ourselves to you. We want to be the living sacrifice that we are told in Romans chapter 12. We want to surrender ourselves to you that our lives might shine, that we might be used by you to plant the seeds, to water those seeds, and even to harvest them, knowing that this is a a lifelong pursuit. And we're investing in some people for the long haul and over a long period of time, and that we are not committed to you for a short period, but for a long period. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.